In the 1970s and 80s, a monster hunted the Connecticut River Valley. Seven bodies found, one survivor, and no suspects. I'm Jane Borowski, host of Invisible Tears. I was seven months pregnant and stabbed 27 times, and I survived. My story didn't end that frightful night. This attack on me physically and mentally lingered for years. I'm Amanda Bedard, and I'm Jane's life coach and co-host of Invisible Tears. Jane is ready to share her story, and not just about her attack, but her healing process afterwards. As a platform for truth and healing, we are on a mission to help others that suffer from PTSD and help bring awareness to mental health issues. To hear my story and others, you can find Invisible Tears wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Strange and Scary Mysteries of the Month, April 2018. Strange and Scary Mysteries of the Month is a compilation of the weird, disturbing, and downright baffling stories currently happening in our world. From UFOs and serial killers, to ancient sites, mysterious creatures, and even ghosts. These are the Strange and Scary Mysteries of the Month for April 2018. Number 5. Cops Call Kidnapping a Hoax On March 23, 2015, Denise Huskins and her boyfriend Aaron Quinn were attacked inside their Mare Island, California home. The intruder broke in, drugged the couple, and tied them up. Quinn's eyes were covered with blacked-out goggles and his ears with headphones that played pre-recorded instructions and threats over and over again. When Quinn finally came to, he found several items missing along with his car, and most frightening of all, his girlfriend Denise was gone too. There was also a message left on his voicemail that demanded two payments of $8,500 each. Quinn called the Vallejo police and when they arrived, they interrogated him treating him more as a suspect rather than a victim. They held him in custody for 18 hours trying to get him to crack or admit he was lying and fabricating the entire story. Two days later, Denise showed up 400 miles south of Vallejo at her parents' home where she said she was kidnapped and sexually assaulted during her abduction police were suspicious of the circumstances, and the Vallejo authorities claimed that Denise refused to speak to them altogether. Moreover, cops accused her of not acting like a victim, after she was seen wearing sunglasses and carrying an overnight bag. With just a preliminary investigation, the Vallejo PD held a press conference calling the entire story a hoax, stating that there was no evidence of an actual kidnapping. Furthermore, they added that, if anything, it is Mr. Quinn and Miss Huskins that owes this community an apology. Quinn and Huskins were vilified over Facebook and their reputations tarnished as they were branded liars in the weeks and months following. As a direct result, they had to move out of their hometown altogether. But four months later, the FBI found evidence that a 39-year-old Harvard-educated attorney named Matthew Muller was the kidnapper. Muller was arrested, and during the trial, he pleaded guilty to the kidnapping of Denise and was sentenced to 40 years in prison. Huskins and Quinn now have filed a lawsuit against the Vallejo police. The city tried to get this lawsuit dismissed, but a federal judge upheld it. In the end, they paid the couple a settlement of $2.5 million for accusing them of hoaxing the entire kidnapping. 
They also issued a press release statement serving as a non-apology, explaining why they concluded the kidnapping to be fake instead of taking it seriously. According to investigators, they found many things that didn't add up, including the supposed uncooperative nature of the victim, but FBI sworn affidavits showed that she did speak with the Huntington Beach police, and behind those sunglasses she was seen wearing were dark circles, impressions from the goggles she was forced to wear during her entire ordeal. Number 4. Founder of Sex Cult Arrested The name Keith Rainier isn't well known, but he recently made headlines after he was arrested under allegations of sexual trafficking and violence against women. Rainier is one of the founders of Nexium, a cult-like group based in Albany, New York. He co-founded it in 1998 together with nurse Nancy Salzman. Formerly, they described themselves as a community guided by humanitarian principles that seek to empower people and answer important questions about what it means to be human. However, various women have since come forward claiming Rainier forced them into a master-slave situation and expected them to sleep with him and do menial chores. They were also branded as a sign of ownership and told to stick to a low-calorie restricted diet because Rainier preferred his ladies skinny. He was recently arrested in Mexico where authorities found him hiding out in his luxury villa. He left the U.S. late last year after the New York Times reported the stories of several women who defected from the group. The controversy is heightened because several TV personalities are linked with the group as well. From 2005 to 2006, then Smallville star Kristen Kirk and Allison Mack joined the group. Their celebrity status was used by Nexium to attract young women to DOS, the name of the all-female sorority within Nexium. Kristen left in 2006 before anything illegal or nefarious started out, but on the other end, Allison Mack stayed. During Rainier's arrest, Mack was seen together with Battlestar Galactica alum Nikki Klein chasing after the police car taking him away. According to Frank Parlardo, someone who used to do PR for the cult before he defected and started exposing them, Mack is known among defectors as Pimp Mack. She supposedly started as a slave herself, before becoming a slave master. Defectors say Nexium would brand women using Rainier and Max initials, KR and AM. The women, being branded, would be stripped naked, held down and forced to say, Master, please brand me. It would be an honor. Parlato claims it's likely Mac will be arrested next. Since 2012, the group has been under suspicion of being cult-like when the Time Union of Albany did an exclusive report on them. This included uncovering allegations that Rainier was exploiting minors. Right now, it seems like the tip of the iceberg for authorities investigating, and much more information is sure to come out in the coming months. Number 3. Pilot Spot Arizona UFO On February 24th of this year, a Learjet was flying over the Sonoran Desert in Arizona when he radioed traffic controllers asking, was anybody uh, above us that passed us like 30 seconds ago? The air traffic controller in Albuquerque replied and said, negative. Shortly afterwards, the air traffic controller realized another plane would be heading in the same direction right behind the Learjet. They radioed the American Airlines Flight 1095, an Airbus A321, flying from San Diego to Dallas, 
asking if he could be on the lookout for anything that might pass by them in the next 15 miles. The AA pilot, Blennis Green, reconfirmed the request and the air traffic controller explained how the Learjet that flew miles before him reported seeing something passing overhead. Green then responded in the affirmative and shortly afterwards he radioed the controller again saying, yeah, something just passed over us. When the pilot asked to describe the object or craft, he said it was a bright object flying several thousand feet from them and going in the opposite direction. Here's the full audio so you can hear it for yourselves. There's 7-1 Papa Golf, good. Yeah, there was anybody above us that passed us like 30 seconds ago. There's 7-1 Papa Golf, negative. American uh, 1095, uh, let me know if uh, you see anything pass over you here in the next uh, 15 miles. You know if anything passes over? American 1095, affirmative. We had an aircraft in front of you that's uh, 37 that reported something passed over him, and uh, we didn't have any targets, so just uh, let me know if you see anything pass over you. I, I don't know what it was. It wasn't an airplane, but it was the path was going the opposite direction. It's American 1095, yeah, something just passed over, so, uh, like, uh, don't know what it was, but it's at least two, three thousand feet above us, so yeah, it passed right over the top of us. Okay, American 1095, thank you. I, can you tell if it was, uh, in motion or just, uh, hovering? Make it out whether it was a balloon or whatnot, but it was just really either bright or, so I had a big reflection on it, several thousand feet above us, going opposite directions. Okay, Roger. Was it a Google balloon? After the incident, the FAA issued a press release saying the object spotted wasn't necessarily a UFO. It went on to explain that they work closely with military and civilian aircrafts of different types flying in the area every day. This also included high-altitude weather balloons. However, they did not confirm if indeed there were other aircrafts in the area during the incident. One fact worth noting is that the area where the sighting occurred is just 500 miles from Roswell, New Mexico, a notorious area for UFO activity. The UFO sighting comes off the heels of the military releasing a controversial UFO video as spotted by Navy airmen. The Pentagon also recently admitted to having a program designed to investigate UFO incidents from 2007 through 2012. Perhaps all the information being leaked recently is some sort of way to prime the public for something much, much bigger soon to come. Number 2. Boy Witnesses Murder Then Disappears In Ohio, 14-year-old Jacob Caldwell has been missing for seven months. Days after his father's funeral, he was at his grandmother's, Sally Thomas's home with his two brothers. While the siblings played in the upstairs bedroom, he asked his grandmother if he could go downstairs to watch TV. She said okay, and minutes later, Sally went and checked in on the kids. The two boys were still playing, but she could not find Jacob. She called police immediately and realized that the boy might have gone out through the window. Even though they expected to find him soon afterwards, that never happened. During the investigation, he was picked up on surveillance video at a local Walmart parking lot. He was pacing back and forth at the front of the store as if he was looking for someone. Then he walked out towards the parking lot and out of the range of the camera, and that was the last time anyone saw him. 
What makes Jacob's case special is that he was a witness to his father's murder. Robert Caldwell was once married to Tawny, his first serious girlfriend. They had three children together, Robert Jr., Jacob, and Michael. Even though the two were once smitten, the marriage didn't last long and they divorced three years later. Tawny initially received full custody of the kids. The relationship between them seemed fine at first, that is, until Robert met someone new. See, Robert had fallen in love with a woman named Candace, and the two married, having two children of their own. Soon, Tawny began blocking Robert's visits to the children. She also prevented his mom, Sally, from visiting her own grandchildren. The Caldwells filed a lawsuit asking for visitation rights, and both were granted, but the kids were not cooperating, according to Tawny, and a custody battle soon began. Afterwards, Robert stumbled and found Tawny's escort service website. The family then brought the information to court but said nothing came of it. Tawny then began accusing Robert of abuse. She said the children weren't even Roberts and insisted that they were her live-in boyfriend, Sterling Roberts. Of course, Robert then took a DNA test which proved they were in fact his children. Tawny kept trying to delay the situation and she was soon found in contempt of court. After four long years of battling, the court finally granted full custody rights over to Robert. Robert and Candace moved into a new home with their two children and Robert's three other kids. Just 18 days later, Robert frantically called 911, telling the operator that he was being chased by Sterling Roberts and that he believed he was armed. The family thought the danger was over, but 10 days later, Robert was gunned down in a parking lot while he was leaving the therapist's office with his three children. The kids scattered while their father was being shot. Robert Caldwell passed away at the scene. Days later, Sterling Roberts was identified by authorities as a suspect. Even though the kids likely knew who he was, they never said anything to their grandmother or family. Soon, Sterling was arrested, and it was two days later after their father's funeral when Jacob Caldwell disappeared. The Caldwells believe Jacob is being hidden by Tawny's family since they have not shown any concern in trying to find him at all. In relation to Robert Caldwell's murder, six people were indicted. This included 33-year-old Tawny, her boyfriend Sterling, Christopher Roberts, Chance Deacon, and Tawny's parents James and Chandra Harmon. Both Tawny and Sterling have been charged with murder. While they await trial, currently the FBI has offered a $15,000 reward for any information leading to the location of Jacob Caldwell. Number 1. Austin Serial Bomber Beginning on March 2, 2018, small parcels containing explosives began appearing in and around Austin, Texas. The first three were made of cardboard boxes and they were left on the porch or front yards of the victims' homes. These were not delivered by any official carrier but likely dropped by the suspect. The first blast occurred on March 2 and killed 39-year-old Anthony House. The second and third blast happened 10 days later. And the first one killed 17-year-old Draylon Mason and injured his mother. The next one injured a 75-year-old woman named Esperanza Herrera. All of the bombs were rigged to explode upon opening and contained shrapnel. The fourth blast, on March 18th, was a device rigged to explode using a tripwire on a residential sidewalk, and this injured two men. The fifth explosion occurred at a FedEx facility in San Antonio. 
Later in the day, another package containing a bomb was discovered in a FedEx facility in Austin, which luckily was eventually deactivated. With the city in a panic, no one knew who was doing this or why. Prior to the sixth explosion, investigators managed to use cell phone technology to track down the perp, and this led them to the door of 23-year-old Mark Condit. By March 20th, police began staking out the young man's home. However, before any arrest, this was compromised when a miscommunication with a medical team happened, alerting the suspect of the police presence. The following day, the cops moved in to arrest Condit and tracked him down to a local hotel and then towards Interstate 35. Police finally pulled him over at around 2 a.m., but as the SWAT officers approached the vehicle, Mark detonated a bomb inside, killing himself and injuring one officer. Now dubbed as the Austin Bomber, police are still baffled as to why and how Condit chose his victims. While he left behind a 25-minute recorded video on his phone before he was killed, it didn't mention how he chose his victims. He also did not talk about hate or any terrorist affiliations. Mark Condit was born in June of 1994 and was the eldest of three children. He was homeschooled by his mother and deemed a graduate by 2013. He was described as a quiet, polite young man who had no criminal records prior to the bombings. In his videotaped confession, he referred to himself as a psychopath and added, I wish I was sorry, but I am not. Every day we encounter scary and mysterious stories that many of us don't know what to make of. These are just a handful, but there's still so much more to discover. If you enjoyed this video, then remember to subscribe to our channel. We have many new scary mysteries coming out every single week that we're sure you'll enjoy. Thanks for watching, and I'll see you soon.